Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Unfinished Business 7. Damn it, I need to piss, Ethramel thought, tapping his leg against the jutting pillar of stone that served as cover. He had a feeling a stone house once stood where he was long ago, but all that remained now were two and a half walls and a grassy foundation. It wasn't far from the meeting point they had all decided upon, which allowed the sorcerer to see everything while keeping a negligibly safe distance. Right now, all he saw was Zevo of Kavir standing at the center of a grassy basin, with Delber of Maked at his side, hands and legs bound, mouth gagged, and a blindfold around her eyes. Green hills rolled around them like swelling waves. Somewhere in the top of those hills were Jeremiah and Silva. The craftsman no doubt had his crossbow trained on Delbra, and he hoped Silva had some kind of ritual prepped in case things went sour. Ethramel burped and grimaced at the acidic taste left in his mouth. Pressure built behind his eyes, and his stomach felt like a shriveled pea. He had drunk entirely too much last night, and he had even better reason to drink tonight. Delbra's comment on the Nilfgaardian diplomat joining the Gutter Rebellion troubled Ethramel for obvious reasons. He didn't know many Nilfgaardian diplomats who were traversing the north at the moment, but there was a non-zero chance Delbra was speaking of Colden Opteld, his bastard son. And Delbra said this diplomat brings great power with him. Was that figurative power? Soldiers, influence, experience, or literal, magical power? Or both? Ethramel didn't know and not knowing bothered him to no end. This thought, like a handful of others, namely killing Arthur and Theo and saving Yana, stuck to his mind and hardened like clay. As if I don't have enough shit to dwell on, he thought, rubbing his eyes with thumb and forefinger. Back to the most pressing danger, then. The odds were overwhelmingly against them. Nearly three hundred trained soldiers to five. The only thing they had going for them, which provided Ethramel with little comfort, was their hostage, and the element of surprise, which was fleeting at best. Ethramel was certain he could roast the entire Hansa, but that wouldn't stop the crossbow bolts that might rain down on them. Long odds, that. With luck, he thought, the Hansa will give us the information we need, take Delbra back, and we can all go on our merry way. Ethramel heard a rustle and pressed himself against the sagging wall, eyes narrowed, staff gripped in his clammy palm. His breath stuttered, and he forced himself to relax. His legs wobbled, and Ethramel made a promise to himself that he would never drink again. 
It was one thing to spring an ambush on trained killers sober, but doing it on the fumes of last night's bender was another thing entirely. Before Athramel knew it, the Hansa arrived. The sorcerer recognized the three people trailing Nulef. Liren Jafe, the priest in loose-fitting white robes, walked ahead of the other two. One was Proltier, a gnome with a belt of knives and corkscrewed white hair wrapping around his otherwise bald pate, and Rissa, a raven-haired elf with a dead rabbit swinging from her belt. All three wore the sigil of the gutter rebellion on their breast. The Hansa walked calmly, and they walked alone. Ethramel saw no marching armies at their backs. All three carried weapons, but their arms swung loosely at their sides. The negotiation was shorter than Ethramel would have thought, but he saw and heard it all with perfect clarity. First, the Hansa stopped opposite Zevo, too far for a sword swing, but too short for a bow shot. Nulif stood between both groups, as if paralyzed by indecision. For a moment, Ethramel thought she would stay with the Hansa, the family she'd been with for thirty years. But then, she stepped towards Zevo and Delbra. Liren Jafe nodded at the three and said, Delbra, have they treated you well? The psionic's head twitched. Her mouth was gagged, but that didn't stop her from speaking telepathically. Jeremiah foresaw this and suggested they blindfold her to keep her in the dark as much as possible. The Hansa would know Ethramel, Jeremiah, and Silva were hiding, of course, but they wouldn't know where. I don't believe you're alone, Leonjave said to Zevo. Where are the others? The sorcerer and craftsmen are still with you. They're around, Zevo said. Let's get this over with. We'll release Delbra if you tell me what I need to know. Proltier the gnome hawked and spat. First, I have a question for Nulef. The she-elf winced, but nodded. All right. Proltier jabbed a finger at her and said, I'd like to know what you see in this damned witcher. It's got to be something important to make you abandon us without a second thought. And trail us for months without saying hello, Rissa added, showing your face to us only when Zevo needs you. It's pathetic, Nulef. We'll release Delbra if you tell me what I need to know, Zevo growled. Nulif stared at the ground. Ethramel thought she never looked younger than in that moment. Leonjaf nodded. Very well. What do you want to know? The location of Arthur, the Gutter King, and his sorcerer Stesco drawer. We saw them a few days ago, but they disappeared. Where are they headed? The elf, gnome, and human exchanged glances. Why would we know that? Leonjaf said calmly. Delbra said you're the one with all the information. You must know something. Maybe, but you don't expect us to betray the man who's going to change the world, do you? I do expect that, Zevo said. He produced the skinning knife from his boot and leveled it towards Delbra's throat. Ethramel tensed and gathered his power. He didn't like the snarling expression on Zevo's face. It was an expression of desperation. You'll tell me what you know now, or I'll cut her throat. Rissa took a step forward, and Proltier clenched his fists. But Liren Jafe remained still, and spoke just as calm as before. No, you won't. What you're going to do is put down your knife, and my men won't feather you with crossbow bolts. The Witcher barked laughter. Good bluff. Liren Jafe put his index and middle fingers into the corners of his mouth and whistled. Ethramel held his breath, and heard the telltale sound of a bolt ripping through the air. It landed in front of Zevo, buried at an angle. Ethramel spun around and looked in the direction the bolt shot. He saw four figures at the top of the hill. 
and then the four became six, and the six became eleven, and the eleven became twenty. It looked much the same on the hills behind Ethramel. It started to very much look like they were surrounded. Son of a whore, Ethramel said, crouching low and disturbing his full bladder. Liberty through union, Lirinjave said. Liberty through union, Rissa and Proltier said. Liberty through union, Delbra said. Zevo's eye widened, and he looked to Nulef. They trailed you? Nulef shook her head, but said, They gave their word. They said they'd come alone. She glared at Lirinjave, Proltier, and Rissa. You goddamn liars! You've overplayed your hand, Zevo, Lirinjave said. These freedom fighters did not follow us here, and Nulef left no tracks for them to follow. You simply underestimated the range of Delbra's psionic abilities. We knew your plan, and where you would be, and reacted accordingly. So put the knife down before you hurt Delbra. I'd hate to see you die. As if on command, Ethramel heard a twig snap behind him. He turned to see five soldiers in front of the crumbling doorway. The leader, a ginger-bearded dwarf, had a crossbow trained on Ethramel. That means you too, elf. You'll be coming with us. That's when it all came crashing down to Ethramel. Their plan was formed and executed from a place of desperation, and was always destined to fail. How could Ethramel not have seen that? Had the alcohol scrambled his wits that badly? Ethramel raised his arms up. Let's not make any rash decisions, eh? I imagine Lear and Jafe wants me alive. Not particularly, another soldier said with a shrug. We'll take your piece full if that's how you want, though, the leader cut in. He motioned for Ethramel to walk closer with his crossbow. A dwarf of reason, Ethramel said, arms still raised. He took a slow step forward, then another. He didn't feel panic. That would come after. For now, he had to. Ethramel stomped on the ground, and tall and jagged spikes sprung up, walling him from the group. The dwarf shouted, and Ethramel heard the telltale metallic whistle of swords being drawn. That was enough. There was no way in hell they'd win a fight now, surrounded as they were. Time was short. Ethramel had a choice to make, and it wasn't a choice at all. Ethramel created a portal, stepped through it, and closed it behind him. Welcoming darkness enveloped him for a brief moment, and then he was spat out into a marshy swamp. Ethramel stumbled in the muck and landed on his hands and knees, dry heaving. A thin strand of spit unspooled from his mouth as he tried to get his bearings. The sounds of crickets and mosquitoes and a dozen other insects filled the cool air. There were no longer any hills, only flat marshland, and there was not a soul in sight. Ethramel was on the swampy outskirts of the town of Undying. Still alive, Ethramel muttered to himself, patting his chest and legs. He stood up and wiped the muck from his knees. Still alive, still alive. Ethramel caught his breath and tried not to imagine how things resolved themselves in the hills of Redania. Tried not to imagine Zevo and Jeremiah and Silva being shackled or tortured or chopped to bits. Ethramel had survived. That was what was important. He had survived. 8. Jeremiah saw the negotiation with perfect clarity as well, though he couldn't hear anything from his vantage point at the top of a hill to the east. He wondered if Silva, lying on her belly beside him, could hear what Zeva and the Hansa were saying with some sort of witching spell. 
She looks just as in the dark as him, though, so he didn't think so. Instead, he focused on watching their movements. He had his crossbow trained on Lear and Jafe. He looked the size of a child from Jeremiah's overhead view, but the craftsman was confident he could hit him. If it came to it, of course, and he very much hoped it didn't. The odds were not in their favor. He saw Zevo pull a knife from his boot and level it at the blindfolded Delbra, and took it as a sign that negotiations were not going well. Jeremiah's side ached, but he ignored it and kept his index finger hovering over the crossbow's trigger. Jeremiah, Silva whispered. She glanced over her shoulder. Jeremiah didn't respond. He needed to focus his attention on the Hansa. If things were going to get hairy, it would be very soon. He glanced down to see Ethramel hiding behind the ruined house. Silva fidgeted and hissed, Jeremiah! What? I saw movement in the hills behind us. The craftsman blinked and pulled his gaze away from the negotiation to look over his shoulder. He didn't see or hear anything. Nothing but rolling hills all around them. A gentle breeze cooled his sweat-soaked skin. How do you know that? I have a feeling, Silva said. The Hanzo would have to have trained the rebels well to get past all of us. Jeremiah tried to tamp down the twisting sensation in his guts. How close were they? I don't know. They looked like little silhouettes. Five minutes at most? Jeremiah settled into his original position and looked back at Zevo and the Hanza. Still enough time to slip away if needed. Keep an eye that way for me, please. I have a feeling. A whistling bolt flew from the hills to Jeremiah's left and landed in front of Zevo. An eternity of silence followed. Well, fuck, Silva whispered. Jeremiah saw silhouettes now, too, on the hills across the field. Dozens of them. He couldn't hear what Zevo or the Hanza were saying, but he saw the Witcher lower his knife. Then he saw Ethramel's magical exchange with the rebels, saw him open a portal and disappear. That cowardly son of a bitch, Jeremiah growled. Jeremiah watched Zevo untie Delbra, then unstrap the swords on his back and throw them at the Hans's feet. He and Nulif would be taken prisoner, best case scenario. But Jeremiah didn't think that the likeliest outcome. Zevo had murdered one of their own after all, that old soldier Radwind. The Hansa would want revenge. Jeremiah might have been able to take out all three with his crossbow, but that would give away his position, and he'd be captured for sure. What do we do? Silva asked. Time was short. Jeremiah had a choice to make, and he didn't acknowledge he made the same one as Ethramel. Sometimes, Jeremiah said slowly, you have to know when to cut your losses. He got to his hands and knees and put away his crossbow. Crouching low, he started his way down the hill, away from their chosen ambush spot. Let's go. Silva gawked at Jeremiah for a moment. Then, faced with no other options, she stood up and followed. They kept low and moved as quick as they could while minimizing noise. Jeremiah pressed against a withered tree and saw six or so armored soldiers moving opposite them, spears knocking loosely against their shoulders the slashed crown of the gutter rebellion etched on their armor. Jeremiah looked to the left and saw more soldiers cresting the hill. It was the same story directly behind him, where he came from. Jeremiah scurried to the closest tree and started crawling on his belly to reach the next, some distance away. Silva followed, and they waited for the marching sounds to recede. They're swarming like ants, he muttered to Silva. This was a poor idea, Silva said. Did Ethramel really abandon us? Looks that way. 
great. Where can we even go to hide? It came to Jeremiah in a flash. I know just the place. Keep close. They crawled on the ground. It was an agonizingly slow process, stopping and curling up into a ball whenever they heard a noise, or taking refuge behind any sparse trees they could find. But fewer and fewer soldiers passed, the closer to the road they got. By the time he saw the outline of the derelict wagons on the side of the road, Jeremiah was sweating and heaving and cursing the day he was born. But they had made it, and he saw no sense in breaking their meager cover now. They crawled down the final hill and pulled themselves underneath the ripped tarpaulin on the first wagon. Jeremiah drew his cloak close. Silva did the same, and neither spoke. Despite the danger, Jeremiah again found himself focusing on much darker thoughts than the basic need to survive. He had been made a fool of by Arthur and his companions one too many times. He imagined himself putting a dagger in Arthur's heart and watching his smiling face contort into a grimace. He imagined himself single-handedly destroying the gutter rebellion with a grand invention he'd not yet thought up. He imagined himself laughing as... Jeremiah heard a rumble, and he drew his knees to his chest to appear smaller. He held his breath and lifted the tarpaulin slightly to watch the road. A countless number of boots marched past, matched in rhythm with spear butts drumming the ground. Jeremiah thought to count how many pairs of feet he saw, and judged it a fool's errand, but he estimated a full fifteen minutes passed before the last pair of boots kicked up dust and disappeared from Jeremiah's sight. The craftsman held his breath, and, after another fifteen minutes of silence, poked his head beyond the wagon. The gutter army was heading west, towards all of Redania's major cities. Night started coming on, and it got cold. Jeremiah drew his cloak a little closer. 9. The army wasted no time picking through their camp and taking everything of value. Zevo watched them tear down his tent and take his clothes and pots and rations and his meager sack of coins. Lear and Jafe ordered the soldiers to toss anything that couldn't be used, and Zevo watched them throw away his jars of monster bits that he'd collected and meant to sell. That hurt to see but not over much. One soldier opened a small black box and found a half dozen colorful vials. He picked one up and popped the cork off. As he raised it to his lips, Rissa grabbed his arm and said, I wouldn't, unless you fancy poisoning yourself. What is it? the soldier asked, carefully putting the vial away. Rissa looked to Zevo and said, Witcher decoctions. Some of them make mutants superhuman for a brief period. Some of them stitch their flesh back together but all of them are toxic to folks like us. She gently closed the box and took it from the soldier's hands. Best to leave it with me. After surrendering and freeing Delbra, Zevo and Nulif's hands were manacled. They were stripped of their armor and forced to march back to their camp, under the watchful eyes of the Hansa. Zevo judged there were about forty soldiers still with them. The rest dissolved into the hills like smoke, going who knew where. Proltier the gnome sat on Ethramel's old bedroll and carved an apple with his dagger. Real shame, he said, popping a piece into his mouth, how this all worked out. To think that just thirty years ago, we were all laughing and robbing together. Simpler times, Zevo grunted. Nulif eyed Proltier with a steely gaze. You told me you'd come here alone. You risked Delba's life bringing your army down on us. Trust me, we discussed the risk plenty. Proltier watched Delbra try to wrangle the horses tethered near the camp, 
Diabol, Enye, Ingot, and Ash. We figured it was safer to end the whole thing quickly with an overwhelming show of force. Godzeva to drop that knife real quick. The Witcher spat. He couldn't say he expected much out of Ethramel, Jeremiah, and Silva, but even he was surprised at how quickly they all turned tail. They would have been slaughtered if they fought, no doubt, but to just abandon him in Newlif without a second thought. Liren Jaf, the Zeracanian, approached and regarded them calmly, unbothered by the din of soldiers ransacking the camp behind him. We'll be on the move soon, he said. He glanced at Newlif, then looked away. And where are we headed? Zevo said. We're not going to kill you, if that's what you're asking, Liren Jaf said. Glad we're clear on that, Newlif muttered. Proltier tossed the apple core away and said, You're going to be imprisoned until the Gutter King decides your fate. You've got a prison now, Zevo said. This rebellion's really shaping up. Lirinjaf chuckled. You'll see it for yourself in a few days. Son of a bitch! The fucker bit me! One of the soldiers attempting to tame the horses held his forearm and showed it to Delbra. The psionic sighed and looked at the culprit. Zevo's horse, Diabol. The beast snorted and stomped his hooves. Jeremiah, Ethramel, and Silva's horses also put up a fight, but eventually submitted. Diablo was bigger, and more stubborn than all the other horses combined. Zevo always valued that trait. It was the reason he bought Diablo from that breeder in Matina in the first place. Two more soldiers attempted to grab the beast's reins and pull him towards the others, but Diablo whinnied and snapped. His back leg kicked a soldier in the chest knocking him onto his back. Delbra scratched the back of her head and looked to Lear and Jafe, with an expression asking what she should do next. Diablo's nervous, Zevo said. He looked up at Lear and Jafe. I can calm him down with a sign. Lear and Jafe looked at Zevo, then snapped his head towards Diablo when he heard a yelp. The horse bit another soldier's hand when he reached for the reins. The soldier stumbled away and grabbed his sword. You'll be fine once he's calmed down, Zevo said watching from the corner of his eye. He shifted slightly on his knees. I promise. The Zeracanian remained silent. Liren Jafe. Zevo's voice cracked. Please. Liren Jafe shook his head, and that was that. Five soldiers swarmed Diablo and managed to bring the beast to his knees. One of the soldiers drew his sword and slid it across the horse's neck in the blink of an eye. Diablo bucked and snorted and snapped, but the strength quickly left his body. His movements slowed, and he lowered his head against the ground, as if going to sleep. Zevo watched. He felt a sharp pain in his heart. He remembered walking Diablo through some river he'd forgotten the name of, and how he expected the horse to resist. But Diablo walked through the swift rapids without a moment's protest. Remembering this made the pain worse. A creeping numbness followed. Zevo was hauled up, and marched west with Nulif by the Hansa and their forty soldiers, but it felt as if it was happening to someone else. He didn't know how much time passed, but at one point Nulif walked beside him and whispered, How are you holding up, Zevo? They killed my horse, was all Zevo could think to say. Nulif's face darkened. I'm sorry. I didn't think Lyran Jafe would be so cruel. He is. Don't apologize for him. The she-elf nodded, fell silent. They walked together for ten more minutes before she asked, So what's the plan? The witcher didn't look at her. Plan for what? Getting out of this, Nulif said. I've been thinking on it. We'll have to wait until nightfall and see how many guards they have on us, but I think we... Nulif, 
They outnumber us twenty to one. They have weapons and armor. They know how dangerous we are, and will take extra precautions. There's no escape for us here. You know that. Nulif opened her mouth to protest, but closed it and looked down at the dirt. The sun was setting, and the only sound was the occasional laugh shared between soldiers. They threw out my tarot deck, she said. What was the point in that? I don't know, Zevo said, and kept marching on. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Zipkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.